after 12 months, some of the outcomes that's, that definitely organisations are interested in in terms of finances. We had 27% reduction in sick leave, particularly those single day sick leaves, kind of the mental health days. We had 50% reduction in turnover. Yeah, we gave out the job satisfaction questionnaires before we were introduced it and then at the end and there was a 20% increase in job satisfaction for personal care workers mm. and for nurses it was 30%. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast. Hey there, how's it going? Welcome to the show. My name's Ash Deneef. We've got a really interesting conversation today that looks at how we staff residential care facilities and why consistently pairing the same carers with the same residents will lead to better outcomes for all. Joining us is friend of the show and co-host of our Friday episode, Daniela Greenwood. Daniela has worked extensively in the space of consistent assignment for the last 10 years after developing and implementing the model with our care in 2012. She now consults with other aged care providers on why it's a more humane and dignified model for residents that has significant operational and financial benefits for providers. And in the episode, you'll hear her explain the process of implementing the model and the disproportionately large benefits for making the switch. So I hope you enjoy this look at Consistent Assignment with Daniela Greenwood. Hey, Daniela, welcome back. How's it going? It's going really well. What a pleasure to be back and congratulations, by the way. Your interviews and interviewing is really fantastic to listen to. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It's been really enjoyable to interview people, but also to have you and Moz on the Friday show and people may not know that I'm lurking in the background every episode, <laughs> enjoying listening into that as well. But you get to... um be on the receiving end again. Yeah, it's. I'm nervous now. No, it's. <laughs> I've got to say, it's fantastic working with Maury because I have no idea how he has heard your interview, and he has no idea idea what I think. So I really like that. That's the first time we discuss it. So I, I really, I've really been enjoying that. But I really have been enjoying your interviews. The fantastic people um, that you've gotten to interview for a start but also um yeah how you just really open it up for people and it's been great so congratulations well thank you that's that's very kind and speaking of wonderful guests you are one of those wonderful guests and we're not talking about who cares today though we'll have plenty of chances to talk about that in the future but a lot of your work and a lot of what you're known for is around this idea of consistent assignment or dedicated staff assignment you've mm-hmm. called it before and i think people might have a general idea of of the sorts of things that involves, but maybe we can start with the benefits of it. Why is this a really good thing to begin with? I think uh, the best answer to that is what would any of us want? Mm. So you're living in one of these institutions, so we'll focus on where the model was developed in, and you're in a room and you're lying in bed in the morning and actually one resident said this to me, so I'm, I'm going to use it, but you're lying in bed in the morning and you have absolutely no idea who's going to knock on that door to come in to help you with the most private 
and intimate parts of your personal life. Things like going, if you think as soon as you wake up, you know, what's the first thing all of us want to do? It's go to the toilet. So mm. imagine you're lying there really, really wanting to go and you've maybe got challenges with your mobility, getting out of bed, being safe in the bathroom. So you're waiting for someone to come up, to come in and they come in and they say, hi, how are you today? And in your mind you're thinking, oh, I've done, do I, know? I have to go to the toilet? No, this is so embarrassing. And they're going to take me to the toilet and take down my pants. They're going to put me on the toilet and if they're... If they've got some sensitivity, they'll probably maybe leave me in there alone while they make the bed. Sometimes they'll just get clothes ready and stay in the bathroom. And then they will wipe me and then flush the toilet. Take Sometimes they'll take all of my clothes off beforehand because they're just about to give me a shower. So I'm sitting on the toilet naked a lot of the time or that's the point they take clothes off. Then I'm probably sitting on a seat in the shower because it's it's all the one room, sort of a mm. designed for wheelchair sort of thing. So I'm now sitting on a chair. There may be a smell happening in that bathroom, and I'm there with another human being who's now washing me. As you you know what happens when you're in the shower uh, under a really bright light, and then they say, "Up, oh, you get," and they dry me and put my clothes on, and I speak about the detail of that because I think it's something that people don't think about enough, especially when we talk about dignity, especially, you know, it's sort of like we see a lot of things in, in aged care that are you know, lovely activities or intergenerational programs. We hear lots of terrible, terrible stories, but it's just these day-to-day, these, these countless moments that are potential moments of real dignity or not Mm. and when you and another resident said this to me in a focus group I can still see him saying this this was out at La Trobe when I was finding out how people were uh, enjoying this enjoying having the same uh, person support them and he said to me it is really confronting but when it's the same person you kind of get used to it and you you kind of because it happens with them all the time you do you can kind of get used to it and that becomes better for both of you sort of thing you know if it's the same person but if it's a different person all the time and and you don't know the person it's it's such personal work you can imagine what that would be like lying in bed wondering who it is and thinking as one woman said oh yes I lie there and think oh I hope it's not that one or I hope it's this Mm. one you know and it's so human and normal like just you know obviously any of us would feel that way, it being a bit of a lucky dip and them having to smile thinking, oh, no, it's that one. Or, you know, <laughs> she, she's really <laughs> rough or she's, she doesn't talk. Or So those kind of comments would tell you enough. I think because it's set in the context of a residential aged care institution, it's like we have to find more reasons to do it. Mm. Like that's enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in in response to my question about benefits, it's kind of irrelevant yes. what benefits are when it comes yeah, back to that I, level. Yeah, right? I must say that's so astute, Ash. Exactly like you interview. That's and I only realised that when we did we did a twelve month trial in one thirty eight bed dementia specific area, and uh, we did some pre surveys and validated questionnaires and and basic global job satisfaction 
the approaches to dementia questionnaire, which looks at staff attitudes and beliefs to people living with dementia. We were interested in how being with the same person and really kind of developing that relationship, how people's you know opinions and beliefs about dementia might change over a year. Mm. So then again, we were just interested in those kind of things. And we also, because it was for an organisation, we gathered um, financial data too, things that had a financial impact like staffing, how many staff stayed, what was the retention, um, injuries, satisfaction, family, you know, all of those sorts of things that would be meaningful. And in my mind, I was all I was hoping for was just don't make it be worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and as I'm gathering all of these outcomes, it was only the first one that mattered. And the first one was we did an analysis of 12 months worth of allocation data. So what that means, Ash, is we looked at how many different care staff in the mornings and afternoon shifts combined. So from 7am till about 9 or 10 at night, there's two shifts there because it's both those that are mostly involved in personal care. How many different care staff helped this one resident with that really personal intimate care over the space of a month. Mm. So then we averaged that, we did the 12 months worth and averaged that over a year. And we thought we had a really, really consistent team, but we found that on average, every month, each of these residents was seeing around 28 different people having access to their naked body. Per month? 28 different people a month. So. We had wow. a team that would work in one section for one week and one section the next week and one section the next week to give everyone, I think the thinking at the time was, you know, variety. If variety is what you want, this work isn't for you. Work in a factory. These are human beings. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah, yeah. But, um, but it, that wasn't the case anyway. The staff really flourished under this model. But, yeah, 28 different ones a month over that year and after a year of dedicated staff assignment, there was five. So what that means, so there was, it was like an 80-something an percent reduction in the different amount of people having access to any one resident's body. So if you can just imagine, I think we spoke, I always think about, say, Margaret in room one. Instead of having 28 different people, she had five. Hmm. So, and that also counts for things like um, just trust, you know, if you're living in a shifting reality like a lot of people with cognitive disabilities are and you're just not quite sure where you are or when you are and, and someone comes in and starts taking off your clothes, if you can recognise their face, it certainly makes it a lot better. Yeah, and one of five is a much higher chance of that or rather than 28. Absolutely. So that's... That's the benefit. And, of course, with a human rights lens on that, you know, you're really thinking dignity. You're also thinking all of this talk about decision-making and it, it's always a limitation in the research or in the, a limitation of the co-design sort of process that people who can't engage in those things, so people living with dementia who express themselves differently, often not through language, their wants and needs and opinions about this space aren't canvassed. So to get to know what people want, you really need, you're not going to read it in a care plan. You need to spend time with them, hmm. you know, just to know when they're in pain, to know 
that that means no or that she or that she's enjoying something little fake facial expressions and tones of voice or bodily expressions that you can really honor that person now and what they want and and what they're trying to achieve now but you yeah. need you need consistency ash you know you do how do you describe those sorts of things to other people? If you think about the people you know and love, you know, if you pick up the phone and your partner's on the phone, mm. say you can't see her, you, you know, you don't know, you can't see her facial expression and you might just hear something like, hi, and you think, oh, no, what have I done? Mm. Anyone else hearing it would go, oh, yeah, hi, how are you? But you mm. know the tiny little nuances that means that's one of those highs. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and I, I think that's the way of explaining. That's the kind of familiarity. Yeah, you need you need to have. Well, it sounds like you know it's it's undeniable that as human beings, that's going to be a beneficial situation. That everyone from the carers to the recipients of care is going to have an improved quality of life and and just general well being from that. That aside, and and putting on everybody's favorite business hat. Yeah. Are, are there real business benefits, real measurable, you know, economic benefits or operational benefits to having consistent assignment? Yeah, there are. There are. Research tells us again and again, and I think you've probably heard me say it so many times, that what staff most value about this work, it certainly isn't the money. We know that people could earn more money mm. stacking shelves. Um but it, even if they get into aged care because there's nothing else they can do, they've maybe just come to Australia or they're re-entering the workforce after sort of bringing up children. And what really happens in my experience is mostly people do get into this work because it's fairly easy or it was fairly easy to get into. And, yeah, there's not too many requirements with education. It's, it's fairly easy, often funded, to get a certificate three or four. It isn't till people experience it that they have one of those moments. And that's what my research, to get to this model, that's what we found. I was working for a group called Arcare and in 2012 I spent six months researching staff, family and residents in an action research sort of using appreciative inquiry. And that appreciative inquiry is we know there's these problems, but starting from problem-based thinking, it just things just go around in circles. It, we're not denying there's mm. problems, but let's focus on what's really working well. Let's focus what is life-giving for people. Mm. So we asked questions of, um, well, I did it for six months, thousands actually, between staff, family and residents, focus groups and everything. We asked very simple questions, maybe only two, you know, to say one of the questions to family might have been, tell us about a time you came to visit mum, you left, you got in your car, you put your hands on the wheel and you thought, oh, I'm so glad mum's there. Mm. Tell me the story about what happened in your visit to make you feel that way. Mm. And we asked similar questions of staff and of residents and we just amassed this whole group of the most gorgeous stories and none of the things were the things you would think. You know, There was nothing about medication there was no, like, what's life-giving in is um, knowing this has been put on time or none of that was there. It was always and only, even though people's stories were very unique to them, it was always something about the, their relationships. Mm. The good stuff happened in the context 
of those relationships. And so we looked everywhere and we found back in 2012 a model called Relationship-Centred Care and it was backed up by a thing called the Census Framework, work by Mike Nolan and other people in the UK. And it, instead of in fo focusing just on the resident and their individual needs, that we, it focused on that in the context of relationships. So everybody who was in relationship with that resident. Mm. What did this okay. mean for what did it mean for everybody? We're, yeah. we're looking at what happens in the real world, in practice, in interacting and and so that seemed to match what everyone had said they valued more. So we grabbed that and kind of adapted it. And then we had huge meetings, full day workshops with about sixty people in each of them, in each region of Queensland and Victoria, and said, Right, how can we have more of this then? If this is what everyone values, let's not focus on the problem. Let's mm. just make more of what everyone loves. And it was relationships. So of course the first thing that came under the microscope was our staffing model. Because mm. there's only right. two models. Yeah. There's only two models. How can we make relationships happen more? And I think when people have tried to implement this, they kind of miss that whole pre-work, which was where the real work happened. People in the same room talking about stuff. And that so they was just, gonna be my next question. Yeah. yeah. So you think that's whenever you implement this sort of model, you need to have all that pre-work done to see what residents want, what families want, what carers want, and then come up with a model that way? I think to get people together talking about it, talking right. about what would this mean if we are going to commit to this, because the concept is there of consistency, but just joining people in, in the early bit. So, so you're not pulling them in after trying to do change management. They're part of mm. this. And right, okay. You need it for buy-in, for people to understand how it's going to transform everything. You yeah. can't just be like, we're doing this thing which is good. It's like, no, we're, we're doing this thing because we value this and we, you've told us you value this. Yeah, it, yes, exactly. You've told us you value it. And it's definitely more than, has to be more than buy-in in terms of, because to implement it in any one context, it's going to be different in each. So it's everyone's role to contribute to this. Everyone, otherwise it won't work. Hmm. So it's definitely more than buy-in because there's a lot of work that each, you know, families, residents and staff have to do. And some really, I mean, it's initially rolling this out correctly, not just putting a few people in the same unit and saying you've got a consistent team. Hmm. That's not enough. I mean, that resident needs to know who's knocking on their door. They either know that or they don't. You know, mm. you, if you can't walk up to a staff member and say, which residents are you dedicated to? And they can't tell you, you don't have this in place. Hey, did you know we launched a new show this season? Hello, I'm here with Daniela Greenwood. And I'm here with Maury Voicey Barland. That's right, Daniela and Maury are back. And they're joining us every Friday for their new show, Who Cares? where they'll be taking a quizzical look at some of aged care's challenges and exploring what they mean for all of us working in the industry. I'm really stumped by how what the resolution is here because I think there's a lot to dig into. You would have been better working at McDonald's, Murray, because I they've got a good set. I could have been somebody, Daniela. <laughs> I could have been somebody. You are a somebody, Murray. You, and the more I learn about you, you're an amazing oh, somebody. Oh, thank you. I think the same. It's a double dose of podcast fun each week and you can find it right here in the Ace Feed every Friday. You're going to be the new <laughs> Minister of Ageing if it's the last thing I do. 
to to be really specific here because yeah. I think I, I've had broad ideas about it but when it, when you've implemented this at the the final end result you know that John is going to be seeing Mary Stephen whoever it is is going to be caring for John and John knows that it will always be that person Mary yeah. knows it'll always be her looking after John 100% and- so residents have their template that's on their wall some of them mm-hmm. and on an A3 you know Sunday who's here Kalita because people can't work seven days a week yeah. So if you think about those two shifts, there's the morning shift and the afternoon shift. Mm-hmm. So that would mean, say, Kalita worked four days a week with seven residents and on the other three days someone worked with those same three residents. So you'd have two oh, morning okay. carers permanently and the same in the afternoon. Another benefit I can see of that is that the morning shift and the evening shift, it's the same person for those three residents yeah. so, that, so that they can then communicate about them. Oh. There's, there's no like... You've got instant overlap. You don't need to track down five people because so you have kind of little partnerships building up in the staffing then, I guess. That is so astute. That's exactly what happens. The, between the morning morning and afternoon shift, um, you always know if you've ever, well, we haven't worked on four, but it, there's often, you know, a little bit of uh, tension between different shifts. Oh, she didn't do this or I can't believe morning. Look right. what night shift left for us. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, or yeah, and the afternoon shift left all the plates out. So understandably, you come to work <laughs> and it's you expected that shift to do something and they haven't. And mm-hmm. it's like you know, so there can be. So it's part of implementing it is getting all of those shifts in the one room. Some of them mm-hmm. have never met each other. They've just mm-hmm. seen names on a page. Nadia, that's Nadia from Night Duty. She is a real person, you know. <laughs> so it's it's a one time cost, but and what we do is go through a time and motion. So I stand up the front with a whiteboard pen and a whiteboard and I start from morning shift. I say, right, who's in morning shift? Right, tell me what happens when you walk through the door. Well, I come in and I do, no, uh, uh You've got your handbag, where do you put it? Next, yep, then you walk to the documentation. Then what do you do? Uh, you grab what folder? Like that much detail. And right. So everything's on the board, all these tasks that everyone are doing. And there's two reasons for doing that with this model. One of them is everyone gets to see. But my goodness, you, you'd be so surprised. The last thing that the morning shifts say they do is take all residents to the toilet and then put away the skips. And the skips are kind of something you bring to different rooms or whatever it is. Mm. And what do you do in the afternoon? Well, the first thing we do is grab the skips and then take <laughs> take people to the toilet, you know, it's like, what? (laughs) At that point, you just ask all leadership to just get out of the way and just listen. I I also always go, do we need to do this anymore? Do we really need to check on this if we know? What can we cross off this list for each shift? And then it's like, what doesn't make sense? Let's just ditch the stupid stuff that we're just doing instead of habit. Does it kind of um, give more parameters to people's workload throughout the day? It definitely gives more definition. Yeah. And what I mean by that is at the moment you already get staff saying, even on the rotating roster that is the traditional staffing model, you'll already get staff saying, oh, she wants to go to the toilet, that's not my resident today. Mm. But And that's a risk of this model too, except the way we roll it out, we account for that risk. So another benefit of taking that whole list we just spoke about is all of those things we remove anything that involves intimate bodily work with a resident so we just take showering 
taking people to the toilets, things that involve a resident's body mm-hmm. that involves dignity. So we take those off because they're now our non-negotiables. Gotcha. So if you're working with this resident, that's your non-negotiable and people, you know, sign a charter to that effect. Mm-hmm. But everything else is the household work and these are the things that we can readjust to account for the different acuity or workload of residents. Or say in my section, because it, actually it would never be as luxurious as three or four, okay. more like so- sev- <laughs> seven and in some places I've seen nine. Okay. Well, yeah. good to put me in my place there. <laughs> and let me just put that <laughs> yeah. in context. Let's say you and I were in a section that had 14 people, mm-hmm. seven each. So we may help each other. Definitely you would help me, um, especially if the resident needs assistance for transfers or as a two-by assist. So we still work in pairs. It's just that at the end of the day, the buck stops with me for my seven and you for your seven. Mm. How long is this process and and how long is, is it from having the conversations where you say, well, this is something we need to explore to the whole facility is, is running on a consistent model? Well, I always say three months. I've got a three-month plan and that includes, okay. and that's, look, that's through many years of implementing and failing and um, everything from you need two weeks notice by a staff sign for a meeting you need you know the union's got very specific things that you need to do if you're going to change shifts it means there might be letters need to be sent out so it's all the really boring structural stuff as well as the great relational stuff and and as you said the first thing is an introductory meeting separate ones for for residents on their own in a meeting separate ones for staff that I usually hold throughout an entire day so staff can come to whichever one you know, so mm-hmm. from day one, staff are feeling really respected. It's uh, it's not uncommon for me to start at about 5.30 in the morning and finish at about midnight because everyone forgets the night duty staff. And if, you're sit- if they know you've been there all day just to spend, you know, some time going through this with them, they not only feel, so- they feel sorry for you, they do. They ring me cups and say, are you all right? You've been here since five. <laughs> I'm just here to be here when you're free. You come in when yeah. you've got a spare minute is an immediately respectful stance rather than saying, we've got a staff meeting at 12, everyone has to be there. doesn't matter if you've got yeah. kids or doesn't matter about anything like that. So starting off modelling how you view staff. and I mean, I've done things like organised cab dockets for people who can't come to one of those important workshops, arranged home care employees to babysit children. Mm. Like there's not one case where a person hasn't come because we just keep working it through. What do you need from us? It's, that's how important I'll give you a cab docket, we'll give you, we'll organise babysitting, we'll do, you know, we need you to be there because you're important. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like you really can't go into this with like, oh, we've heard it's a nice thing to do. Yeah. Like you really need to mean business and you need to have the idea to improve everybody's lives at the centre of it and not just some we want to position ourselves in a positive way or we want to try something new because it, I mean, I don't want to do 5.30 to midnight and I'm sure that's that's one day and that's one person, let alone the logistical nightmare of shifting schedules and getting people on board. And Yeah, yeah. It's respect from day one and I think there's easier ways to do it but it's that painful attention to the little things that ends up making the difference. So, hmm. And when I've tried to roll this, oh, so we did this trial for 12 months and we kind of, fine-tuned some of the um, bumps as well, you know, and mm-hmm. that's where 
we didn't originally have all of those household tasks set up. That was just feedback we got from people on the floor around how do we balance workloads when someone's got the really, they call you know, heavy residents or it's a heavy load on one side and the other side's light. And that's where we came to where, well, what's our one non-negotiable body work? Mm. Everything else can be shared so that the workload is balanced. So the trick in the workshop is giving staff the skills they need to do that themselves. So eventually after, you know, a couple of months, they're saying, oh, look, John's side is empty. He's got two empty rooms. Oh, no, I've got two empty rooms. I'll make your beds today. Mm-hmm. Those sort of things. And you want that sort of goodwill happening. But it really means that you need to let those personal care staff know that you respect them, that, that they've got this. And just to remind them what they already do mm. in terms of their workload. I, I just say, hands up, who's got children? And a lot of them do. And I just say, oh, this, is, this, this will be a walk in the park. <laughs> you know, I mean, and I really mean it. Yeah. You know, in terms of time management and, and navigating fairness and stuff, I think you got this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So jumping back to a question which we, we touched on briefly, but I, I want to ask it quite directly. Do aged care providers implement this? Do they lose money on this model? Are they making more money? If you're speaking financially about this, does it make sense or is it a bit uncertain? How does it look? It makes sense. It definitely, there's efficiencies built in. I worked for a non-for-profit who after the 12 month, before actually the 12 month outcomes, gave permission for it to be rolled out in both states across 30 something homes. Hmm. And believe me, this isn't an organisation who would put up with any kind of financial loss. So after 12 months, some of the outcomes that's, that definitely organisations are interested in in terms of finances, we had 27% reduction in sick leave, particularly those single day sick leaves, kind of the mental health days. Mm-hmm. We had 50% reduction in turnover. Wow. Yeah, we gave out the job satisfaction questionnaires before we were introduced it and then at the end and there was a 20% increase in job satisfaction for personal care workers and it was already pretty high that was just one of those global all things considered how much do you like your job and Mm. for nurses it was 30 percent one thing that was very important to me with residents other than that huge reduction in the amount of people having access to their bodies was the 90 percent reduction in pressure injuries So, yeah, 90%. And so even the pressure injuries that did happen, none of them were sacral. They were all related to footwear. And so that didn't mean all of a sudden people became better nurses or whatever. It did mean that carers knew residents' bodies. Mm. You know, and there was one story of noticing like a little little mark underneath uh, one woman's breast that you wouldn't even notice in a blue fit, but someone noticed it. And it was the wire bra that she was wearing that could have definitely caused, it was just about to break the skin actually. So it's it's mm. also little things like that. People's weight went up. I think it was the average weight increase was about six pounds. And again, that's just not waking up people when they're not hungry. And one story I heard back from them was the guy that never eats dinner but will have like four sandwiches with his Milo at supper. The little things, it doesn't matter how good you are clinically or how amazing care notes you take. They're the things you learn over time and they do have an impact on people's skin integrity, on their, um, on them just knowing each other. 
huge, so there's all of these things feed into outcomes, unfortunately, in some of the places I've worked, because get staff get so good with their timing, because the idea is to let them then have that spare time to go slowly and just be with residents. Mm. And there's an agreement between staff that they'll never ever say to each other again, because they do, oh, look, she's just sitting having a coffee with the resident. That's to be celebrated. And that yeah. really needs to be a top-down thing. Well, obviously, for her morning, some of her residents didn't want to get up or or maybe didn't want to, you know, we don't judge each other and say, oh, I'm working and she's not. But unfortunately, I must say, in some of the places I've worked, that hasn't gone unnoticed. Mm, okay. And so after all these gorgeous, gorgeous outcomes are happening, they'll cut hours. Yeah trying to squeeze a little bit more yeah and it and it does harm to people yeah. so it's it's it definitely does have financial and, and reputation and recruitment and retention and most importantly i would say is occupancy if you walk in one home that will give you one sheet of paper and say look your mum's going to be in room four these the two morning carers and these are two afternoon carers mm. if people's thinking am i going to go to a place or am I going to go to B, all of them have got beautiful chandeliers and all of them have got this and however many stars, which one are you going to choose, Ash? Yeah. The person that can give me the template (laughs) or the person that's, oh, yeah, we've got a consistent team, which one are you going to say they can actually give me a schedule? Mm. Again, none of this is my model. I've learned so much from what other people have come up with. Good to go back and visit and say, right, what can I steal? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's well, true. So you got to do it. And I hope that people listening to this today can steal some of your ideas. And, I hope so too. And some of the processes you've been through, Daniela. Thanks so much for your time. I feel like we've maybe scratched the surface on a much bigger conversation. Ash, um, thank you. I'm, I feel like I've talked too much as usual, but I'm just so excited to be one of your interviewees and also <laughs> to talk about this topic. So thank you for the opportunity. Well, it's a real pleasure. I'll see you very soon in a conversation, not too far in the future, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Ash. Well, thanks very much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. A quick little note to say that there will be no Who Cares episode this Friday, but Daniela and Mori will be back next Friday. So in the meantime, I will see you on Tuesday for another in-depth interview. Have a great week. I will speak to you soon.